Well, get into your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and I'm sure some lovely person in the back, like my wife, will be happy to give you one. And then when you get it, open them up to John chapter 6, verse 22. That's we tw- well, as we pick it up today. John 6, 22. All right, so on the following day, when people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one in which G- G- his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should rise, up, rise it up at the last day. And this is the, is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will rise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven, and they said... Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give 
is my flesh which I have which I shall give for the life of the world. But the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he who sent, uh, he, uh, so he who, who feeds me, who feeds on me, will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where, where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you so much for how beautiful, poignant, and frightening in some ways this text is. How concerning it can be, Lord, that we can see how important this text is. The challenges you set before us. And Lord, no doubt there is a lot here. And yet, Lord, even though there is a lot, We don't want to miss the forest for the trees. We want to make sure, Lord, that what it is you want to say to us, we get today. So, Lord, open up your scriptures. And, Lord, speak to us. May we have so much fun in your word. May we be at this place, Lord, where we are so open and willing and available to you. And that you would speak now in a way that just we get. We get and we get. So, Lord, please, today, we commit ourselves to you. And we ask now, Lord, for you to have your way, even as we sing. May we in surrender, Lord, offer ourselves to you. And may we worship you now with this study and intend to apply what you have here and the challenges here before us. So we commit this to you, Jesus, every moment of it, in your name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. That's always the key here. Now, if we're going to take a look at this, we kind of have to take a look at it in the depth of what God is telling us. We are, first of all, in a heavy text in a lot of ways. 
Well, one of the things, first of all, and hold on a second, I'm closing all of this. So that I can actually get out and start viewing this. One of the things that God really wants to start showing us in all of this is how Jesus is now for the first time in our text actually showing us that he is openly proclaiming himself to be the I am. Now he said it last time when he actually was sort of showing himself at the storm, but now things are a little bit different because now he's actually just openly, openly proclaiming himself as such. Now, our context again, John the Baptist has been killed. Jesus has sort of sought to get away with his disciples, but there's just no way they can really get there. So Jesus now is turning. He's fed the 5,000 men and their families. That's kind of where we were in all of this. Now, if we're going to take a look at this in context, notice this, that Jesus will use only seven very profound and unique I am statements to the gospel of John. And there will be seven unique, well, not necessarily unique, but seven miracles that attach to it. This is not one where you're going to find a lot of miracles, for instance, like you would the gospel of Mark, where half of the gospel, the first half of the gospel of Mark, half of it's miracles. Here there are only seven miracles until Jesus' resurrection, and each one of them pairs then with a message. In other words, the miracle is a means for a message. In the end of it, the whole idea, understand, of the Gospel of John, as John is being presented as God, is that Jesus isn't the I give, he is the I am. And that's a really different thing. If Jesus is the I give, he's a means to an end. But if Jesus is the I am, he's the end. And there's the difference. And understand, young in my faith, when I first gave myself to the Lord, my first thought was, how do I use Jesus to get the things I need? And as I grew, one of the things I started to understand is, actually, Jesus is the thing I need. So, he turns water into wine in chapter 2 and then says he's the true vine in 15. He healed the nobleman's son in chapter 4 and then says he's the sheep gate in chapter 10. He healed the man at Bethesda, if you remember, the man that was lame in chapter 5 and then calls himself the good shepherd in chapter 10. And the man at the sheep pool, for what it's worth. He feeds the 5,000 here in chapter 6 and then claims to be the bread of life. He walks on water in chapter 6 and then calls himself in chapter 14 the way, the truth, and the life. He heals a man born blind in chapter 9 and calls himself the light of the world in chapters 8 and 9. He raises Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11 and then calls himself the resurrection and the life. In all of the cases, he has done something to validate these crazy claims that anyone else to say would actually have to be insane to say it. Now, in this, we have this lengthy chapter where now, in this sense, these people have been fed. Jesus has walked on the water, and that takes us into our text here. It's been a crazy night, if you think about it. The guys have been up rowing until at least three in the morning. And as they've been up rowing, Jesus has walked on the water. It is the second storm we have recorded, the second storm we have recorded with these guys. And you understand, Jesus is graduating his students. God is calling them here disciples. And disciple, mathetikos, in its simplest sense, means students. In the first storm, please hear me, Jesus was in the boat. In the first storm, the disciples turn to Jesus and say, don't you care? We're perishing. In other words, I'm going to die if you don't stop this storm. That was the first class. Now understand, we got to graduate from that. Jesus will calm the storm. They will say, who is this that even wind and waves obey him, wind and sea obey him? And then ultimately, what happens is the man possessed by a legion, if you will, on the other side is the one who gives the answer. What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That's our first test. But now we have a second one. This time Jesus wasn't in the boat. And now we have to find him. And as he comes to us, he had sent, if you remember, he had sent the mass away, sent his disciples in a boat, and Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. They had a storm. 
again. And as they hit a storm again, they're freaking out again and they're rowing and they're having a hard time and they're not getting anywhere and they're stuck in the middle of the sea. And Jesus comes walking on the waves. Says, it is I, don't be afraid. And the moment he gets in the boat, they are on the other side. Please, please hear me. So this allows us to get into our text because now we read the following day. The first time when we're young in the Lord, we hit a storm, a trial, and we just don't think we're going to make it through it. We've seen a few of those. Where in the beginning, something just gets so heavy, so crazy. And understand, a storm is just anything you are powerless to win over by yourself. I mean, do you realize, and we should be praying for the south coast right now of, of the United States, and for that weather, for Mexico, an 8.2 earthquake there with a small tsunami to follow. There's been this huge, as you're aware of, hurricane in Texas and now we have Irma that's hitting Florida and then right behind Irma is Jose. Thank you, Jose. And then right after Jose is Katia. Uh, The largest, the strongest storm in a a century, this Irma hitting Florida and supposed to go all the way up the coast of it. And then, to make it worse, it's followed by a Category 4 hurricane and then a third hurricane to follow. I mean, this is crazy times. Hey, the wind's blowing nearly 200 miles an hour. The rain is falling. You can't stop the rain from falling and you can't stop the wind from blowing. It's a storm. And maybe you've had those. Sometimes you can see them coming and sometimes you can't. So in this, you get in this, you get in this place where you realize, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it through it. And that's, cha- that's, by the way, that's chapter one. That's first lesson in regards to storms with Jesus. He's in the boat and you just need to get to him. And understand in that you're like, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it. But that's the first storm. And you graduate from that sooner or later. And somewhere we mature in Jesus. And as we mature in Jesus, the next storm hits. Now, this storm, by the way, is not one where anywhere they've asked Jesus to stop the storm. And this storm, they just need to get to the other side. And that's what happens as we grow. We don't go from Jesus, you have to just stop every sort of travail in my life, every problem. Now we get to this place where you're like, God, can you just get me to the other side of this? Whatever I'm supposed to learn, whatever character you want to develop in this, whatever hope you want to birth in this, please get me to that place because I'm ready to get to the other side of this one. And understand that's what happens when we grow with what we grow. This is what happens when we grow with the Lord. As we go to that place where now we realize, I'm going to kind of probably live through this one. And even if I don't, I'm just going to be with the Lord anyways. But if I'm going to live through this one, it would be really nice to get to the other side of it. Well, that's where we are. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes, sandals for a moment, if you will. They're exhausted, man. They've been pedaling all night. They get to the other side and we read this now. On the following day, verse 22. When the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there, except the one in which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, his disciples had gone away, well, alone, and you realize they start to come too here. They recongregate and realize the disciples had left in a boat. It's the only boat here, and Jesus hadn't gone there, but we can't seem to find Jesus anywhere, which tells me a little something. That when Jesus went to rescue his boys in that boat, apparently he didn't pass by those people. Now, how he relocated, we don't have. But what's clear is if Jesus had sort of run past them to go and save his disciples, I think people would have seen it. And that tells me something. Jesus, as far as this mass is concerned, they had had a very public miracle 
I mean, 5,000 people have been fed with a boy's lunch. The disciples, on the other hand, had a very private miracle. And I just say that God does both. And we need both in our life. Well, the private miracle, understand, because we need to know how intimate God is, how personal he is to reach to my specific needs. But the public one, because we need to know often how common my need is. I don't know about you, but it's a common thing for people when they get a problem that they sort of isolate themselves and sort of become the bear cub in the cave because they think somehow their problem is unique to everybody else. And they isolate because for whatever reason, they're like, oh, I'm a freak because of this problem. And the last place you want to be is a place of help, like fellowship. And the Lord wants you to show you that on a lot of these public things, it's because these needs are common to man. God's made that clear. But also the personal ones, because God's a personal God. So they notice that Jesus is in there, so they're like, well, we need to go and catch up with him. And if you want to go and find Jesus, you should follow his real disciples. Now, the term disciples is going to be used a lot in this chapter. And by the way, have you considered the fact that of all the chapters and all of the Gospels, and all of the Gospels, no chapter has a greater falling away than this one? A mass of people quit class today. This is the day they walk away and never come back. Now, as a pastor, what would it be like for me to have a situation like this? If I was in a situation going, all right, the truth need be told, the people are kind of tottering, or that's all I can see is the outside, but you've got to lay it on the line, and most of the people just sort of go, that's stupid, there's no way, that's a hard teaching, I'm done with this, and they leave and they never come back. Would I go for the rest of my life looking at that day and go, that was the day of my biggest failure? And yet Jesus does it here. Was it a failure for him? No man looks at the outer appearance, but it's the Lord who sees the heart, the levav, the inside. You ever have people, you're like, well, you better not, you better be really careful. Don't kind of push it because if you do, you might just push him away. When truth is, maybe they were away the whole time. What it tells us at the end is Jesus knew who wouldn't believe. Which means that all of these people were in school, but they weren't believing. They were in school and they were studying, but they really weren't, had no intent on applying the knowledge they were getting. And what we see here is you can come to Jesus for a lot of reasons, but if you don't come in faith to follow him for who he is as Lord, you're going to lose it. In this text, 12 different times, Jesus is going to use a transcending life phrase, or someone is in the text. Four different times, he's going to call himself in one way or another the bread. And six different times, he's going to tell us how important it is, how imperative it is to believe. Now that tells me something. So the disciples, as they're called here, by the way, have gone into a boat, but there's a whole group of other people, a mass, who are going to call themselves disciples too. Now they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now we already know from the text that Jesus winds up in the, in the synagogue. That synagogue to this day, there's a synagogue built on that synagogue today, so you can visit the same site. It's not the same synagogue, but there's a rule among archaeologists, once a holy place, always a holy place. So you tear down a synagogue, guess what you build there? Chances are another synagogue if you can. So they came from other boats. They came from Tiberias. Remember, that's the one city on the west side of it. And it says to the place, they were there. They were gathered together where Jesus had blessed the bread. I find it interesting. That's the term that's used here. They can't find Jesus, so they head back to Capernaum. In verse 25, it says, they found him on the other side, and they said to him, Rabbi, Ravi. Important, that means, remember, that means teacher, sensei. That's the idea here. Now, they're not going to call him Lord until they're actually asking for bread in verse 34. They said, 
When did you come here? Now, that's a legitimate question, right? I mean, you're kind of breaking the ice. Nice weather, isn't it? The kind of thing you do to start a conversation at a moment like this. Jesus nails them on their intent. Jesus knows when he's being played. And I want to remind you, either Jesus is the end or he's the means to an end. But when Jesus is the means to your end, he knows you're playing him. So they're small talking. and Hey, how did you get here? You know, I mean, the disciples left earlier and there was that crazy storm. I don't know. Or did they know there was a storm at all? No one makes mention of it. How did you get here? And Jesus doesn't go, well, let me tell you the cool story of how I walked on water. The things we might do, to be honest, if we had done it. But instead, he just turns and he goes, I know why you're here. You're here because you ate yesterday and now you're hungry again. And he realizes that these people want to go and bank on this miracle for the rest of their life. They're looking at Christian welfare. It's like the welfare state of Jesus. Hey, if I could just keep hanging on with Jesus, he could just keep feeding me every meal. You know, it's like, hey, Jesus, what can you do with bread in the morning? French toast, that would be nice. Sweet. We can do paninis for lunch. We can turn it into pizza for dinner. Okay, at breakfast, maybe a croissant just to kind of make it, you know. Bottom line in all of it is, they're hitting up Jesus because he's a means to an end for another meal. And Jesus doesn't like being a meal ticket. But he doesn't just rebuke them. He doesn't go, go away, you bunch of losers. You're trying to use me. Instead, what, users even. But understand what he's really trying to do here is he's trying to take that appetite and lead it to him. Please understand, every appetite you have, every appetite you have, God's trying to lead to him. You're lonely. He wants to use that to come to him. You're confused and you have this desire for purpose this desire for importance or significance, no matter what that appetite is in you, God wants you to take it to him. He goes, look at Most assuredly, I say, you seek me not because you saw the signs anymore, though that was what John told us in the first two verses they started with. They've moved that now to this. Well, because you ate the loaves and you were filled. You had a nice meal last night and you're coming back. So Jesus goes, let's transition can we transition from you hitting me up for a miracle to me, me from being, being the means to the end to me being the end? Can we transition in our relationship from a place now where I'm the end of your searching and not just the means to find something else? Or are we going to spend the rest of our life here you just using me for whatever the thing you need is? Because let's face it, if that's where we're going to be, then we're really just using Jesus instead of enjoying him. Now, hey, look it. There are times we need peace. There are times we need clarity. Well, to be honest, I think we always do. But to ask Jesus to be our peace is very different from asking Jesus just to give in. Jesus says in verse 27, don't labor for food that perishes. The word labor, by the way, try this word. Here's, I will only use a couple Greek words here. Ergatsomai, turn that, ergatsomai. That's not not bad. Ergatsumai. Ergatsumai is a word that means to toil to an end. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you're just working and you're not even sure what in the world is how this is going to end up? You know, you don't even, you're just like, you know, to be honest, chances are the thing you get a paycheck from, for a lot of you, that's probably what it is. You show up, 
you work. You may not have a designated end to it. You just work. And your end is when you're done. Five. That's the end. Now, there are others that work for a particular task. I know Bruno, for instance, has told us there are certain projects that are laid in his lap. And they're like, you know when you're done? When the project's done. That's kind of how that works. You know, a couple days ago, a few days ago, I guess now, you go back into the garden and it is amazing. It doesn't take much time for the weeds to make themselves at home. It's amazing. Other things die. Why will the snails not eat the weeds? That's always my question because we live in a fallen world. But I I have an end. It isn't like, gee, what I really like is picking weeds. Good times here. I want those things gone, but once they're gone, I'm done. I have a specific end. I'm I'm toiling to an end. Does that make sense? So the word ergas just means to work. Bergatsumai, in this sense, means to work with a specific end. And what Jesus is saying is, y'all, and if you could pardon me for using my sort of colloquial, y'all work in me for an end here. I'm means to an end. Y'all work in me because you got something in mind you want. And I'm the thing you're working on. I'm the thing you're manipulating. And he goes, you know what you're doing? Here's the crazy part. Hear me on this. Jesus says, you are working me for a temporary end. The eternal, infinite God. And you're trying to come to me for something that's just temporary. You know what the problem is? If you hit me up for something temporary and you think that's the best I have to give you, then you're going to have to keep coming back for it. But that's not even a relationship because it's as much of a relationship as you have with a Tesco. Because in the end of it all, you keep coming back because they keep having the supplies. He goes, is that what you really want? You know, there's a whole part of our family, and they joke about it, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, whatever you want to call it. But the whole idea of it is they'll tell you, God wants you to be prosperous. And they'll ask me, do you think God wants us to be prosperous? And I'll say, of course. But if you think the best prosperity God has to give you is riches, earthly riches, well, you're back in this text. Oh, God, just give me temporary stuff so that I could be temporarily happy for the moment. And there's the problem. Everything this world has to offer has to be temporary because this earth has a cell bite and expiration date. It's done. And it's wrapping up pretty quickly. And we can see that by looking at the papers today, let's be honest. This place is falling apart. I guarantee you, Al Gore has not got this one right. And there's the danger. Oh God, just bless me with the temporary. So there's the comparison of happiness and joy. We play it right out here. I remember this with a class of students we had that were 13. I'm like, what's the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness comes from the word to happen or hap. It means circumstance or situation. Joy, on the other hand, is internal. So let me play it out. Think of one thing, Shamar, that you could get that would make you happy. Put you on the spot, didn't I? Don't worry, no one's looking. Okay, that's a lie. Yeah, well, something that could make you happy at this moment. Good food. Okay, good food. How about you, Karen? What's that? Chocolate. Well, that was, talk about transparency. Good food, chocolate, pretty much the same thing. It all depends on where you're at. Someone else, give me something else. That would make you happy. A cheeseburger. See, the problem is, look at Calorie Chapel indeed. See how, see how we score? What's that? A child minder. Yes. Okay. A child minder. That makes sense. I thought you said a China mom. And then, you know, 
which, which could be a childminder, just the same. Okay, one more thing. Someone give me something else. Sunshine. Okay, so here it is. Did someone else think of that too? All right. Oh, Deborah, Deborah, sunshine of warmth, right? So, all of a sudden the day is sunny, and as the day is sunny, Yas cooks this beautiful meal. Surprise! I know she's the cook, but I'm just playing it out. That's the fun of it. I already heard about the date, and that made me that made me laugh. What spices? I don't care. I'm just trying to get on my fork because it's dark. All right. Now, and all of that. So, okay. So Yas cooks this amazing meal. And by the way, while while we're at it, we'll just we'll you know we'll add Dennis. Just a couple guys are there, and because I'm thinking meat. So they're cooking this amazing meal. As they're cooking this amazing meal uh, for dessert, chocolate everything, chocolate fountains covering chocolate things with chocolate swans on the whole bit. And so there's the chocolate and all of that. Right? And all of this happens, and while all of this happens, in walks this perfect person with this amazing resume, and they've got this, you know, this perfect CV, and they've got all this background, and they're the perfect childminder. When we're all so happy. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sam, in a crazy rage, gets, and we don't even know why, gets struck with this madness, and he walks in and he just starts throwing everything out the window, including the childminder. Out the window, just, and she lands on the chocolate, and everything smashed and crushed, and the whole bit. And while all of this happens, she looks and goes, Well, at least, and as she says it, lo and behold, it starts to rain. Guess what? Happiness was gone like that. Because anything that comes with happiness is temporary. Anything the world has to offer is temporary. There's the problem. On the other side of it, everything God gives is eternal. And here's the crazy part. You can't take my joy. Jesus said, when I am raised again, I will give you a joy no one can take. You're like, and people are like, I just think the devil's stealing my joy. Boy, you are really giving the devil a whole lot of credit because Jesus said the other side of that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't trade it. Imagine the enemy going, hey, give me your joy and I'll give you some happiness. You can win the lottery. I hear some chocolate, but give me the joy. And see, the thing is, is that the enemy knows more than us how dangerous it is to be a joyful Christian. A joyful Christian, people look and go, what do you have I don't? But to be honest, the only time joy is really seen, and I dare say it, is when you have no reason to be happy. Because everyone can be, you know, remember when the enemy talked about Job in the beginning? Now, maybe when you read the first couple of chapters of Job, there's a part of you that thinks, God, when you're in a conversation and Satan shows up, don't mention me, you know. But I mean, because he's like, you know, hey, well, what are you doing? I'm kind of trying to find, I'm trying to cause some problems. And Jesus is like, well, have you ever thought about Job, my servant, Job? Now, remember what the devil's response is? Of course he blesses you. I mean, of course he praises you because you bless him. Look at all the stuff he's got. Understand the world's under the sway of the wicked one. They'll say the same thing. Well, of course you're happy. You're engaged. Of course you're happy. You're engaged. Of course, you know, of course, I'm sorry. Some of you are like, dang it, what happened in here while I was gone? And of course you're happy. Look at the clothes you're wearing and look at the house you live in and look at the place you're at. And, you know, your problems are first world problems. It takes a little while for the water to warm up. There are people who don't have water, but urine to bathe in. And, you know, and you're like, oh man, my wife. And the only reason I say that is, is that look at how blessed, and people are going to be like, of course. Yeah, you're going to praise God because that's the way you chose culturally to kind of be thankful for the stuff you have. But the enemy said, take all that away and it'll curse you. Give him, in other words, take every reason away to be happy and then let's see what he's got. In the moment you hit the ground, now I'm not wishing this on you or me, but the moment it hits, people look 
And they're like, now what you got? Because now they're like, I wouldn't be happy now. I don't have anything. Because understand, joy comes at the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611 makes clear in his presence isn't even just some joy, but the fullness, literally more than you can contain. In God's presence, there is more joy than you can contain. And the whole world could fall into the toilet. And even if the world would have fallen into the toilet, which, by the way, swirls an awful lot like a hurricane as far as I can see, no matter how that is, the world's going to look and it's like, but I still have joy. And the enemy can't take that. He can ask for it, but there's no way he can take it. And Jesus looks and he goes, you're all working me for happiness, for temporary satisfaction. Is that really what you want? Because if it is, you are selling me short. Now notice, they're going to still keep trying. It isn't like they're like, oh, you're right. We're busted. There we go. Oh, no. He goes, look, at stop working. Ergatsumai, stop working for this end. Because, man, you could work for a different thing to the end of eternal life. Not just this temporary stuff. To be able to say, oh, this is the life for a second. Because you're there at the beach and it's warm and it's hot or whatever and you can hear the birds and the shore comes up and the water's actually warm and the surf is perfect and, and they're barbecuing meat. I'm sorry, it just always shows up in my dreams. But, you know, somewhere in all of that and he's like, but you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. It isn't a sin to want it. But it is definitely dumb to replace your pursuit in God for that. And that's something I have to be reminded. So look at, you know what they said? Verse 28, what shall we do to work the works of God? Remember that other word? The word where you're just doing it? Ergon. That's the Nike, just do it, if you will. Ergon, by the way, versus Ergatsumai. If you had the word en, in in the Greek is en, and ergon, or in work, or in motion, is where we get the word energy from. What Jesus is saying, stop working to this end. So they're like, well, what work do we have to do so that we could do the proper work so that God could be happy? No, notice in the context, what they're saying is, well, what do I have to do to get this? Jesus is like, look, you've got two breads. On one side, you've got the temporary bread. Yeah, you're going to need it, but you can't live on that alone, can you? And on the other side of it is the eternal bread. And, and, they're gonna, and they don't even know what that is, though he's talking to them at this moment. And they're like, well, what do I have to do to get that? That's the idea. What works do I have to do? What work do I have to do to do the work of God? Jesus says in verse 29, he says, well, this is the work of God, that same word, Ergon, that you believe in him whom he sent. He goes, this is not about you earning this. You will never earn the bread of life. Israel never earned the manna in the, in the wilderness, and you will never earn the bread of life. But I can tell you what, God's work is to fester within you belief, to put your trust upon him. Well, look at what they say in verse 30. You tell me if you think they're trying to grift Jesus. Well, what sign will you perform then that we may believe you? What work will you do? You know, our fathers, well, they ate bread in the wilderness. Do you see what they're doing here? They're like, well, I get your message, but if you're going to give me this message, you're going to have to do a miracle. You know, that bread thing was pretty cool. Why don't you do that again? Jesus, remember, tells them, the reason you came here is because you're hungry. The reason you came to me is because you're hungry, but you need more than just a temporary fix on this, or you're in trouble. Well, 
Give us this bread to eat. Exodus 16, Nehemiah 9, Psalm 78, all tell us this. Jesus says to them, and by the way, it's been roughly 1,400 years since they've had that manna. The only remaining was in the, the ark, and the ark was taken, has disappeared since the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. for its worth. So Jesus says to them in verse 32, Moses didn't give you that. My father gave you that. But the real bread you're looking for that actually gives life to the world, well, that only the father can give you. So they're like, all right, Lord, we'll take that. Verse 34, if that's what's on the menu, slap it on me. Jesus said, well, well, what you're looking for is me. I'm the bread of life. And notice the two things. He who comes to me, your hunger will be done. And he who believes in me, so will your thirst. You will be satisfied and never have to thirst again. But for that, you need to come and believe. But notice in verse 36, he starts to pull them apart. But I said to you that, that you've seen me and yet you don't believe. And yet all the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. No, don't miss this. Not everyone who's come to Jesus has been drawn by the Father. But here he's saying that those who really come to me, come to me as the end, not as the means, but come to me as the end. That's actually God's work in you. Coming to me for peace or just joy or just something as a means, he goes, anyone can do that. And I understand why it says in Romans, quoting from Psalms, by the way, that nobody really seeks after God. That's why if you're a seeker-friendly church, what exactly, who's, what are they seeking? We're a seeker-friendly church. Well, wait a minute, Jesus says no one seeks, or actually, I'm sorry, Paul says in Romans, nobody seeks after God. Well, they seek after the things of God. We'll take everything God offers without him. If we could get everything God offers somewhere else, we'll go there instead. Let's be honest. That's been the problem. So we guys look at Here's the deal. So let's just play this out for a second. Tunde. He's walking down the street. Hi, Tunde. How's it going, bro? He's walking down the street, and he sees her. She is the perfect everything. And his heart skips a beat, and he stumbles a little bit, and then he has to try to make it look like he meant it. You know? His, you know how it works? Like, this is probably, probably true, right? And, and in that somewhere in all of this, you know, he, he, his voice drops a little bit. Usually that's kind of the case. And he does the face rub. I noticed this. He's like, he's all right. That's, that works, right? He's like, hi there. Hi, hi there. Right? Does that, yeah, does that, does that, hi there, right? Now, I did it. I did it. Face rubbing the whole bit. Uh, and... And of course, she just swooned and the whole thing is history. Well, yeah, of course. But we all know where liars go. Now, follow me on this. And somewhere in it, he sees, and there's something inside of him. He can't put a number on it. It isn't like he can quantify it. There's no science behind it where it's like, there's, oh my goodness, I think I'm excreting a chemical called love, you know, or whatever. There's just something inside that says, man, I got to talk to her. I've got to talk to her and she's got to like it. She's got to like it. So he starts spanning and thinking, what, in, what, what kind of, well, let's see, let's, this, any, you know, this is the way she's dressed. Um, this is the, the manner of her gait, the way she walks. She probably likes this and this. And he goes, hey, so uh, see any anime lately? <laughs> right? And she says yes, and his heart just explodes. At this point, it's rupturing in his chest. But somewhere in that, there's a temptation, there's a temptation to use her more as a shell for, 
temporary pleasure than it would be to actually really develop a real relationship with her. Now, I should say day because I don't want to pick on you two days. So day is doing this. And the whole idea of it is somewhere down the line, he is being drawn, but in that drawn, he has two bridges to get to her. One bridge is for something that's, lo- that's lasting. I really want a relationship with you. But the other one's kind of more like something that came out of a rap song. You know, it's like, I really want to be with you, but it, you know, the length of it may be all night long and that's a promise, but that's not going to be kept in. But you get the idea. And so all of that in this are these bridges and he can choose one or the other. Does that make sense? Now, the reason I say that is within us, God is compelling us. There's something inside of us that says, man, there's got to be, I hunger for something beyond me. Man, there's got to be a reason to life more than that I'm taking up cells. And somewhere in all of that, we start hearing about Jesus and the Spirit goes, from without, goes, hey, that's who you want. That's the one you want. And you've got two bridges. You've got the bridge that the Father draws. And the bridge that the Father draws says, Jesus, I need you to be the end. And then you have the bridge that we go, you know, I've got a lot of needs. And here's my list. And as long as you meet these needs, although most of men, I need like an iPhone. You know, it's like I have these needs. And as long as you meet them, we're going to be cool. And they're very different relationships. This is an entirely taking relationship, this second one. The same way that Wunde would be if he kind of sees her and goes, oh, baby, and that's where he's going. It's all taking. She's means to an end. But on the first case, there's something compelling inside that says, man, there's got to be more than this. I want a relationship here. Does that make sense? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's going to look at everyone that the Father draws. And literally, by the way, the word means to drag. I think that's kind of fun. In the same way that maybe in the beginning, Tuna was like, he's starting to walk. He's like, there's just no way he can't take another step away. And he's like, look at the father. If the father is drawing you, and you know what? You're going to come and I'll never cast you away. You come, and what just it sounds like, Jesus is like, no matter how you come, I'm not going to cast you away. I may not give you what you're asking because I know better, but I'm not going to cast you away. But if the Father draws you, you're never going to get lost. But if you draw you, well, remember, Jesus is going to say, and I'll lose none of them. And yet, thousands of people are going to walk away this day. So that Jesus didn't lose any of them. They lost themselves. I share Jesus with somebody, and I really want them one to Christ. But if I share properly please hear me. If I share properly, it isn't a matter of whether I win or lose. I win. I'm saved. I'm not losing my salvation because someone says no. It's whether they win or lose. Because men, if they say no, they lost. I'm like, I'm so sorry. You don't want them. You have no idea what you're missing. Well, let me huff through this text here for a moment because I want you to see what's happening. Jesus is going to go from this to one step deeper, and I at least have to develop that particular part of text because it's one that gets really wonky with people when they don't. They're like, Lord, give us this bread always. We want this bread, but they're still thinking temporary. And Jesus goes, I'm the permanent end to your your searching. And your hunger will never be satisfied permanently until you actually make me your destination and not just the means to the end. So he goes, look, this is the will of the Father who sent me, verse 39 that all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise him up on the last day. And again, he's about to lose the mass. 
The will of the Father, you ever want, this is what God's will is? By the way, the word will is not secret plan. The word philema, and it means pleasure. What really? If you realize what revolutionized my walk with the Lord was not, God, what's your secret plan for me? But what would please you? Because the moment that actually happens, decisions are made on a very different level. It isn't about what shirt I wear in the morning, unless one of them just obscene. Uh, but in the end of it all, it's really, God, what would please you today? And you could see God going, I'm really not concerned about your socks. But I am concerned about your witness. So here's the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and the idea is chooses to look will believe in him. And whoever believes in him would have everlasting life and I'll raise him up on the last day. And Jesus goes, no, wait a minute. And the Jews are now looking and they're going, I got a real problem with this guy. This guy's human. I mean, he came down from heaven. That's their first problem. We know his family. This is a human being talking to us. As the people start to back off, and please hear me in this, as the people start to back off, Jesus doesn't go, oh, have I, have I hit a nerve? Okay, we're going to chill. We're going to be cool. But rather, as he starts to back off, as they start to back off, Jesus keeps pushing. Because you're going to need to make a choice here. So he's like, look at, don't murmur among yourselves, verse 43. No one really can come to me unless the Father drags him. I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they should all be taught by God. And that's from Isaiah 54, 23. Not everyone who has heard from me, uh, heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So notice that though. Not everyone who's seen the Father except he was from God. Jesus is like, I'm the one and look at, I'm telling you, you've got to believe in me if you're going to have everlasting life. There's no other option. I'm the bread of life, the bread that your fathers ate that you're trying to pull up as your example. They're all dead. Do you want a temporary fix or do you want the permanent? And then Jesus pulls into his last big portion to make them, to really make them choice. And he goes, look at, in the end of it all, and here's a, here's a phrase. Hear me on this. Egarsach melathis estin brosis kato aima melathis estin posis. And that probably means nothing to you. You go, well, for good reason, unless you speak Greek. This is Jesus' statement in 55. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Alethis, the word for indeed, literally means actually, or really, or truly, or verily. In other words, it's this simple. You need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, but you need to know that my, my flesh is actually really food. My blood is actually really drink. Which, of course, we will get to when Jesus goes to the Passover. But they're going, wait a minute, this is all vampirism and cannibalism. This is really, you're freaking me out. And understand, the idea of it is, unless I understand you, I'm not following you. Isn't that what they're saying? But they're like, look at what I understand you to mean, even though you said, look at my flesh is really food and my blood's really drink, but I'm still not getting it. So as a result of that, Jesus goes, look at, you need to recognize this is a spiritual matter. And he tells us that in 56 to 58 as he teaches in the synagogue. Notice in verse 60, and let's bring this to close. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. The word hard here is the word scleros. Scleros, by the way, is used in, in uh, science today. Doctors use it. Sclerosis means a hardening. 
It's usually like tubular sclerosis, multiple sclerosis. is a hardening of arteries or hardening of veins. And the idea of it is it becomes rigid and unbendable. The same word. And what they're saying isn't this, this is hard from the standpoint that I can't, under, I can't just comprehend it. The idea is this is just inflexible and this is too rigid for me. I need something more flexible. I need something where I could kind of make it up as I go along. I don't want you to dictate the rules. I want to be able to dictate the rules and somehow be able to squeak them into whatever you think you've done. So keep them vague. God, if you could keep your rules vague, I could somehow try to make my world apply to it. And Jesus isn't going to bend there. Jesus knew that his disciples, and notice verse 60, 60, when they're called his disciples, the people are going to walk away. They complained. He says, does this offend? Well, if you saw, and I've told you, I've come down. Well, wait till you see me come up. What will happen then? You know what happens as a result of that? He goes, look, you really can't come anyways unless the Father draw you. If you're going to come from any other means, you're not going to stick around. And all I'm showing you is that you've come for the wrong reasons. That's the problem here. And I don't know about today. I don't know what it is you came here with. What, it is the, what was the end of, the, of this for you? But I know this. If Jesus is the end, you'll never be disappointed. If he's a means to an end, you've got to realize you're playing him. And if, you, if it really is the case, what you find in the end of it all is you will be upset when he starts making the rules because you'll be like, you're just the party pooper. And, you know, all of my fun you're taking away because I made up my own ideas about what it is. And he's like, but my will is so much better for you when you got to trust me. And you're like, yeah, but your way is unbendable. And of course, it's unbendable because it's good. Why should I be flexible on something that allows hurt in your life? And so from then, verse, and by the way, isn't it interesting? It's 666, that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They're like, forget this. We are done dropping out. Now Jesus then turns to his 12. Now could you imagine how, hurt, how much hurt this would be? Now Jesus, even though he knows that they wouldn't believe in him in the first place, it still hurts to watch him leave. And he has just watched a mass bailout of people that claim they would follow him forever, that claim they would follow him anywhere, that said they would do anything, that you are the thing, you are it. And they had all the lovely words, but in the end of it all, when push came to shove, they were just gone. And Jesus has to watch this. And I think it's one of the most tender moments Jesus has here because he doesn't ask if they will. Notice what it says in verse 67. Jesus turns to his 12. He doesn't say, are you going away with him? He says, do you want to? And I think that's really different. Now, I can say this. And this is very dangerous to say. When you're committed in marriage, you know if you're committed in marriage, you're committed in marriage. You are not leaving. And there have been times where you, you know, I have never for a moment ever questioned my wife's loyalty, my wife's fidelity, or my wife's commitment. But there are times where I definitely wouldn't want to ask, do you want to go? Even though I know you might, even though I know you won't, do you want to? Especially in the first couple of years of our marriage, because we were two very selfish, immature children. 
And I think it's interesting. Jesus is asking a very vulnerable question. He's not asking, are you leaving? Because he knows they're not. He knows, by the way, I remind you, Jesus knows who's going to believe. He's asking, pardon me, I hope that's okay to even share that. It's like, you know, he's asking, do you guys really, do you want to go with them? The crowd is bailing. Do you want to go? This is going to look really different tomorrow than today. Today, it's a mass. Tomorrow, it's not going to look like that. Do you want to go with them? Does this offend you so much? Hey, I'd rather go someplace where I'm not going to be poked in the nerve like that. Do you want to go? Because it's a lot easier out there for the moment. But it's going to be a lot harder in eternity. You're reaping here. You're sowing here for what you're going to reap. Do you really want to go? And I I can't even imagine what would happen if they said yes. And Simon Peter, bless him, the one guy you know who's going to say something. He says, not Lord, where? Remember, that was the question when Jesus asked about feeding. Where are you going to go for that? He goes, to whom? And see, what Peter gets is you're not trading a where for a where. You're trading a who for a whom. It's like, to whom would we go? Jesus, if I leave you, where in the world am I going to go? It's not just where. To whom am I going to go then? Who do I trade you for, Jesus? And if I just want a more broad, make it up myself, I'm the Lord and the master and the gatekeeper of my own destiny or whatever, in the end of it all, am I really trading in just the theology here? Am I really trading you in, Jesus? Isn't that what Paul says when he writes to the Galatians? When he talks about trading Jesus for another gospel, not just a gospel for another gospel. And he goes, which is no gospel at all. So look at, to whom would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe and know now you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response in our last two verses, and these are really fun for the person that really likes to focus on choosing. Oh, I just believe God chooses some and God doesn't choose others. I'm like, well, you might want to look at those last two verses of John 6. Because in the last two verses, Jesus did choose 12, and of the 12, he chose Judas. You say, well, I'm chosen. I'm like, yeah, Judas could say the same. And, I, and the worst part is, is in this tender moment where Jesus is, I mean, how many moments does Jesus actually look to get comfort from his guys? You thought about that? It's like John the Baptist is murdered. He wants to get up on a mountain and pray. He needs to get with the Father. This is the one moment where he turns, if you think about it, when everyone else is leaving and he kind of looks and he goes, hey, do you guys want to go too? And they're like, to whom would we go? Jesus, we know who you are. There's no other place to go. There's no other person to go to. It's a trade down. And at that moment as he grabs the comfort, there's this bittersweet moment. He's like, yeah, but man, I'd love it just to be like warm and fuzzy. But dang it, even one of you is a devil. Oh man. And you can see the guys going, wow. You just can't make this guy happy at this moment no matter what the case is. 
And you know what's amazing? Is that we read Jesus would know, Jesus knew who would believe and who wouldn't from the beginning. He also knew who would betray him from the beginning. And yet when Jesus tells the twelve, one's going to betray me, nobody has a clue. In other words, he did not treat Judas differently. If Jesus had shirked Judas, if Jesus had kind of been like, well, over here, all you guys are going to be super blessed, and over, well, this guy, but the rest of you, you know, no, I mean, if, let's face it, when Jesus like, one of you betray me, chances are most of the guys were like, well, it's probably Peter. <laughs> Look at that. Who else did he say, get behind me, Satan, too, but that guy. You know, I mean, who wouldn't you say it to? But, I mean, it, nobody went, well, it's probably Judas. He's the money keeper. Jesus has given him a job. This guy's, I mean, this guy's got a position. He's got a badge. He's got a title. And then I start to wonder, remember when Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he comes down and he's like, there's this guy and his son's possessed. And he's like, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. Was Judas one of those? I don't know. Did Judas get to do any miracles? I mean, let's say it, Jesus sent him out two by two. Someone had to be stuck with Judas Iscariot. And if Judas Iscariot was a total dud compared to everyone else, wouldn't there be a part of you that would start to go, hmm, what's weird about this guy? I mean, I'm like, people are getting healed everywhere, and then Judas is like, poof, walla wama, and they all get sicker. I mean, you would start to wonder, but not. And I get the idea, understand, Jesus isn't treating the unrighteous. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous together. It isn't like I can look, but you know. It's about you knowing your heart. Today, is Jesus a means to an end? Or is he the end? Because when he died on the cross, guess what the end was for him? It was you. You weren't the means to an end. He doesn't want your money and your stuff and all that. You were the end. You were the goal. When he died on that cross for your sins, it was to get you. You were the end. And when he was buried, it was to bury all of that nastiness so it doesn't have to get exhumed. And then when he rose again, he deserves to be the rightful Lord of your life forever from this point forward. And the bottom line is you are the end of his searching. So what are you going to do with that? As we go to prayer, that's the choice we have to make today. Are we going to grow in our storms from God just remove them to God get me past them? Are we going to grow in our walk with the Lord to say, Jesus, don't just give me stuff now, but be the end of it. Be what I'm looking for because I know you are. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, today's the day to get right. You pray with me. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. And certainly, we could delve into this for days without stopping. And the richness of so many other things that could have been developed, but just for the sake of time and clarity, did were not. But Lord, in the end, it's just so clear. Jesus, you have to be the end and not just the means. The peace, the discord that we went over, the loneliness and the love we are seeking, the hope that we are wanting to embrace, the purpose, the raison d'etre, the reason for being. God, Jesus, you're all of this. 
And I confess to you, there's so many who don't confess these kind of things. They are just not about that. They're about just using you. But will you please forgive us for where we in our ignorance have done that? Or somewhere in all of this, we've been so caught up in our own agenda and what we think are our own needs and in our own stuff that we're not really willing, Jesus, for you to meet us right where we need to be met. And so we just keep hitting you up for the next miracle, but not really seeking a relationship to take you for who you are. And Jesus says, you show us that you are the bread of life, that that you being in us is so much more than just a concept or an ideal, but accepting the right you have to come and live inside of us. I thank you, you are a gentleman and you don't barge your way in, you come invited. And and today, Lord, we make that decision. We just want to invite you. We want to say, Jesus, please, will you come and, and enter our lives in a way that puts you in the position you deserve, lordship. We know you died on the cross to pay for us because in your eyes, we were the end, not the means to it. So thank you for dying on the cross with us on your mind. Thank you for being buried so that all of that could be buried with us on your mind. Thank you for raising from the dead so that you could offer new life to us because we were on your mind. And we don't just confess you as Savior. Confess you as Lord. Because we really need you to be Lord in our lives. So Lord, will you please consume our wandering appetites and be the Lord of our lives today. Please. And today, if you want to accept that gift of Jesus, it's a choice to make and it's just that prayer. Pray this with me. God in heaven, I am a sinner. I'm guilty before you. But in that, I recognize You sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to punish my sins fully. He was buried just like your scripture promised. And on the third day, as scripture promised, he rose again. And with that, you offer me a brand new life. So I say yes, confessing Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Have me now. Be the end of my searching. Jesus, in your name. If you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say amen. Lord, you've heard our prayers. Now cement those decisions. May we hear all your angels in heaven rejoicing over that choice. And today, now, may we walk in you as we should. Be the end of our searching. And Lord, may we walk in that joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.